You are now listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Five, six, seven, eight. Holla, boys and girls, it's the BGN. Coming from the Marvel world to the DC friends. All the way from Hollywood to the PCN. She defends everyone from sleazy men. Born apologize for spitting Shonda Rhimes. The space that we make is never colonized. We're talking games and movies and actors. Words. Better shake your booties for Black Girl Nerds. Today's episode is brought to you in part by I'm getting into cryptocurrency trading, but I want to learn a little more about it. So I decided to check out edX, and guess what? They have a course in Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, available through one of the many courses they offer online. And the best part is I can choose to audit the class or pursue a verified certificate for it. With edX, you can learn just about anything you want from how to code to learning a foreign language. The breadth of their class selection is honestly mind-boggling. If there's anything you have been wanting to pursue to further your career or knowledge base and you want to learn from a reputable source, then you have to check out edX. Right now, you can get a 10% discount for signing up on any purchases you make by going to edX.org forward slash nerds. That's edx.org forward slash nerds. Happy learning. Family, faith, secrets. Everything in this world comes full circle. Saving Ruby King by Catherine Adele West is an enthralling story set in the south side of Chicago of a young woman determined to protect her best friend and a deadly secret that threatens to undermine both of their families. Perfect for fans of Britt Bennett, Saving Ruby King is available now in hardcover, ebook, and audiobook. Welcome to the Black Girl Nurse Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan. And for all you movie buffs and TV buffs out there, I want you to go to this magical place with me and imagine a world where you can have Rocky Balboa and Magneto in the same movie. Well, kind of, like a little bit. Um, hopefully you're thinking the same world I'm thinking of. I'm talking about Animal Crackers. It's the new animated series on Netflix. And I'm joined by two guys today that I'm hoping are going to give me some more tips about how they created this magical world, give us some inside scoop, all the good stuff. I'm talking about directors Tony Bancroft and Scott Saba. How you guys doing? Hey, hey how you good. doing? Thanks for having us, Ryan. Thanks for coming on. I'm so excited. Guys, this this film just like visually is just amazing. Oh, Aww. thanks. That's really cool. It's so, been so yeah. long. It's just it's just so so yeah. nice to hear someone say something about it. We've been yeah, well, actually, since you since you kind of since you already kind of went with it, go ahead and tell me if you guys, whoever Tony Scott, whoever, which one of you guys want to take it. 
Um, talk to me about that, because it's so crazy the time period we're living in with the pandemic, because we all saw that Animal Crackers was supposed to come out way earlier. And the fact that Netflix picked it up. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, Tony, you want me to take this? Yeah, go for it, man. Uh, it, it was, uh, God, we started it. I mean, I, I came up with the comic book idea back in, I think 2010 and, uh, my boys were seven at the time. And then, uh, my buddy, Kevin Grievous, he wrote, uh, Underworld. Um, he oh, encouraged okay. me to turn it into, uh, gra- uh, into a screenplay. And I told myself, mm-hmm. I I've never, I went to art school. I have no idea how to write a screenplay because dude, I was a microbiologist. It's, it doesn't take a degree to write a screenplay. Go for it. <laughs> and, uh, and I did, and, uh, I showed it to Tony and Tony loved it. And, uh, we wound up getting in front of, uh, Harvey Weinstein of all people. And, mm-hmm. uh, Ooh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I won't get into the details of that yeah, relationship. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, eventually I was able to come up with some money, uh, from some Chinese investors and we began production in 2014. And uh, we finished the film at the end of 2016, only for us to run into three just bad people. I mean, we won't name names or anything, but bad in the film. Just, you know, we we made this amazing film that we were just so proud of. And and then we just sat for three years just watching it go through legal battles and bankruptcies and just all Mm -hmm. sorts of horrible stuff. And then it was just when all the dust settled, uh, Netflix came in and they rescued it and we just, I, I think we're just still in shock, right, Tony? I mean, we're just kind of in shock that yeah, this yeah. Day actually happened. Well, and I feel like we got to, uh, you know, uh, um, capsulize that Harvey Weinstein story by saying Scott did not go out with Harvey Weinstein. He, he Harvey wanted to make, put the movie out, made an offer on it. He was just definitely one of those um, <clears throat> Hollywood figures at the time that just wanted to take advantage of the film. So thankfully we turned him down very early on. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Largely, this has been, you know, I come from the Disney side, working at big budget studios on, you know, really large films. I co-directed Disney's Mulan. Um, Oh yeah. I was going to ask you about that coming up later. You beat me to it. (laughs) We're just getting, we're getting way ahead of you. Um, But, you know, (laughs) but having done, having gone from a large studio to now a small independent where it was mostly just Scott and I and um, our producer, our other producer, um, that he had already men- mentioned, uh, uh, Jamie, we we just had such a creative freedom that I had never experienced before, and it made it it made it so fun to make this film. This little kind of it was the little engine that could, even though we had difficulties. And yeah, there was a point definitely before Netflix came in that we thought this is never going to see the light of day. Nobody's going to see this little film that mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. all these great actors and you know, the story that we wanted to tell and put out there in the world during COVID. Um, and yet then all of a sudden it came together and, oh my gosh, it's just been an incredible reaction. Yeah. And, um, and speaking of, um, just the, the world that you guys have created, it really made me want to go buy like a box of animal graham crackers. <laughs> and when like you, and if you get the box of graham crackers that, you know, they've kind of broken up some of the pieces. Yeah. And as a little kid, I remember trying to figure out like what animal I was going to eat, you know, before enjoying my, my graham cracker there. So I want to ask you guys, how many graham crackers were consumed? Like how many cookies were actually consumed? I had some actually what we were, while we were watching the premiere on Netflix um, this last Friday, we, we bought a bunch of animal crackers, cookies, 
My favorite are the mothers kind. I don't know if you know the mothers. They're the frosted kind. The frosted with oh, the yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. The ins- I could eat those all day. Shoot. I, I love them frozen. <laughs> Put them in the freezer. They're nice and crispy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so the inspiration for me. In the freezer. That's where I'm at, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the inspiration for me came from those Barnum's ones, the ones with the string. And, uh, oh, yeah. and that's what mm-hmm. we were eating because they kind of have a little bit of a lemony flavor, which is yeah. really kind of mm-hmm. just reminds me of my childhood. Now, okay, I'm trying to, because I have so many questions, because this is like, cool, you guys got to check this out on Netflix, it's playing right now, and by the way, it's in Netflix's top 10, so you guys got, definitely got to check it out, family movie, um, give the kids, distract the kids for like an hour or so. <laughs> um, but some of these characters, like Horatio with the chest hair and everything, talk, talk to me about uh, Ian uh, McKellen signing on for this. That's crazy. Like the names that you guys have in this, like, like I was saying, um, Jessica Salone, Danny DeVito. It's it's just insane to see these guys play in these different characters. Yeah. Um, Sorry, real quick. And then you go into Sylvester Stallone or something or uh, Ian McCallum. But real quick, we also got Emily Blunt and John Krasinski before. Yes, like that real life chemistry. Yeah. 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 But we got it before they actually worked together on A Quiet Place because you got to remember we recorded this five six years ago now and that was Mm -hmm. before a quiet place the first one came out now they have a second one done already and they probably made other movies together but at the time they were super excited to do it because it was their first first time doing a production together oh wow yeah um yeah with with uh with ian he was when i when i was writing the script there was two voices that i had like just two two voices that were going on one was patrick warburton as brock i just when I would write it, mm. I would hear that voice. And the yeah. other one was Ian McKellen. I just, and it was, you know, it's an Americana story, right, Tony? I mean, it's, it you know, it was, it was never took place in Europe or England. But for <laughs> some reason, when I was writing him, I just heard Ian McKellen's voice. And I remember, you know, when uh, Jamie, our, our casting director, when he asked me, he's like, well, who do you have in mind? And I told him, and that was the one big name we were going after. Because uh, mm. we, we it was a small budget. Originally, our original budget was $11 million. We were like mm-hmm. thinking direct to DVD, and uh, so this was this was like the one big name we were going to go for. And when he said yes, Tony and I were just like, "Oh my god, I can't believe we got Ian McKellen!" And but uh, Jamie had sent out feelers for backups in case Ian McKellen said no, which was perfectly plausible because uh, we mm-hmm. were nobody. Um, so he had sent out feelers. Well, if Ian McKellen says. No, then our big name could be Sylvester Stallone for Bulletman or Danny DeVito for Chesterfield or Raven Simone for Binkley, you know. Uh, so we had a whole bunch of other. But when Ian McKellen said yes, suddenly Danny DeVito also said yes. And Sylvester Stallone said yes. And Raven Simone said yes. And and Tony and I, we had to go back and we had to go ask for more money because it, it was just too good to be true. We just couldn't pass it up. Yeah, it was a domino effect. And, and it was it was one of those surreal moments because, like I said, I, I've been working at some of the bigger studios and when Scott and I started first talking about casting for the characters and, you know, we talk about, you know, what's best for the character, but also what'll help with marketing and things like that. We're considering everything. Um, and we put together this dream list of the cast mm-hmm. and then somehow we actually got them and <laughs> like the best and worst thing to happen because we're a low budget film at that point. We're going, we need to up our game and we need to put more money into production and character design and everything because this is no longer like a direct-to-video kind of film. We got to go theatrical with this, which meant, yeah, we got to go back and hunt up some more money and make this a real deal. 
Yeah, and 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 the we were missing at the time. We were missing the Owen and Zoe characters. Um, you know, we had put some feelers out. Um, we hadn't really heard anything back, and Jamie called me and says, um, "I'm going to run a name by you, John Krasinski." And I said, "No idea who that is." It was 2014. <laughs> I'd never seen The Office, and uh, yeah. you know, I was just no, no clue. And he's like, "Well, he's really funny." Talk to Tony. Tony's like, "Yeah, he's really funny." And they start sending me videos, and I'm like, "Okay, okay, I'll trust you guys." So uh, a couple months goes by. It's beginning of 2015, and I go uh, to fly out from Nashville to go and see Tony. You know, Tony and Jamie are already in LA, and and I'm supposed to meet with John and Raven Simone and Danny DeVito. And I get there and we do the session and John is fantastic. I mean, you, you knew the moment he opened his mouth, he was Owen, which was mm-hmm, great. Mm-hmm. Afterward, yeah. we're, we're packing up. And uh, so I go in to go just talk to him and thank him. And, and uh, cause my first experience, uh, you know, Tony, Tony's an old hat. He's been through this at Disney. I don't know how many times, but for me, it was a new experience. And so I just wanted to go and thank him and He's really nice just talking. And he goes, you know, he says, I just want to tell you, my wife just loved the script. She thought it was great. And I was like, oh, well, thanks. Thank her for me because I didn't know who he was married to because why would I? I didn't know who he was. Right. So sure enough, Tony's in the the sound booth and the mics were hot. He comes running in and he's like, "Uh, would she want to be in the movie? And he's yeah 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 and he and Scott's trying to like get in there and go, well well who are we talking about I need to know what and I'm like just shut up shut up Scott <laughs> why are you asking this guy it's like, leave him alone and why he are you literally, asking yeah and John Krasinski literally in between takes uh, had texted his wife hey babe um, you know they say they are looking for a, a a person to play my wife in this movie what do you think and she wrote back within five minutes like in between him recording his takes. She writes back and he and he gets on the mic and he tells us right there in the room, hey, I just heard back from my wife and she said she'd love to do it. And we started partying. And Scott still going, I'm like totally confused. Why why like, you know Emily Blunt, Emily Blunt. <laughs> and then of course I said the stupid thing, which was, wait, you're married to Emily Blunt? He kind of rolls his eyes. Why does everybody say that? You know, why is- <laughs> But see, but I think that's good. why you guys are like a good team. See, Tony knows when to run in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, Tony, Tony, I mean, Tony was uh, the lead animator on Pumbaa, Kronk. He was Yago. I mean, mm-hmm. he was the director of Mulan. Tony was, you know, Tony's the superstar, and uh, this is my first movie. Um, the dynamic was, you know, Tony brought in all of this talent, uh, these amazing storyboard artists. Uh, Tony knew all of this. But yet he let me make mistakes. He let me, you know, he knew this was my my dream. And uh, and as a good friend, he just, he's like, I'm going to warn you. This is not going to work. This is, and I'll, no, 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 it'll be fine. It'll be fine, you know. And a couple of weeks later, okay, that totally didn't work. Let's go back to this, you know. He, he was just, you know, it was just I, a I great relationship. Not even on the podcast anymore. Ryan, here, let me tell you my side. Is that? Oh, there we go. Yeah, there we go. Go ahead, Tony. What's the other side? That's very kind. But the fact of the matter is, is that Scott and I, and Scott's a Renaissance uh, artist and he paints and he draws. He's done comic books. He's done CG Mm -hmm. animation. I mean, he knows his stuff too. He's never written a script before, but this was also a passion project. And I know one thing I have learned over the years is that 
when somebody is really engaged creatively into something, you got to listen to it. It doesn't matter who they are or what their mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is. And I knew Scott loved the story, was engaged in the story, knew these characters backwards and forwards. Um, and that goes well beyond experience. His passion was coming through from day one. And the first time I read that script, I had been reading scripts from, this was after Mulan and I was independent. And at that time, uh, about five or six years ago, I was reading scripts from a lot of different producers and writers, and some of them were big names in Hollywood. And I was looking for another project to work on. And um, I read my buddy Scott's script that going into it, kind of like everything, thinking, well, you know, this isn't going to go anywhere. Or, you know, let's see what Scott's doing, or I'll do him a favor and read the script. And I ended up loving it. I just thought there is so much more uh, heart and humor and fun in this story than anything I'm reading right now. And uh, that's that's largely the reason I, I jumped on board. And I, and I, my whole goal was just to, I wanted to support his vision, his passion for the story. Um, and yeah, did we, did we argue at times creatively and all that kind of stuff? Absolutely. But it was our friendship and, um, and really this deep respect that we have for each other that I think got us through at the end of the day. Thanks, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I want to, I want to kind of touch you cause that's cool to kind of hear you guys talk about your partnership. And also you can kind of tell that passion that you both share for the project because there were so many life lessons in this film. You know, you can get lost in like, you know, like the way it looks and the magic of it yeah. all. But there were a lot of important lessons. And I was kind of curious, you know, you can kind of tell by your the friendship and the way you guys are kind of um, vibing with each other. But was that was any of that kind of stuff personal life you guys are bringing in or was it just like you maybe things you've heard of? I mean, we're obviously in a time period now where there's a lot of reflection going on. A lot of times to just kind of sit. And I think this movie, that's what's going to really resonate, I feel like, with a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, I, I know at least the story grew and a lot of elements uh, from our lives uh, got into it. Um, you know, before we had our money, um, my wife and I, we were on food stamps. You know, we our house was in foreclosure. And uh, when the Weinstein thing happened, it was around 2012. And when it didn't work out, we were just what, what do we do? You know, we kind of put a lot into this and, you know, I, I, I'm 40 something years old. I didn't have any, any prospects. And she said, you know what? Um, I'll go back to work. And she went, she tempted and she did whatever she could to, to keep us alive. And she said, you, you go and you get this money. And she worked for two years while I, you know, I took care of the kids and I worked to try to find the money. And, uh, and I think when, when we got to, when we got Emily and John together and we saw their dynamic and it reminded me of the dynamic with my wife and me, and that really changed the script. Uh, it wasn't uh, a hero's journey anymore. It, it was the family dynamic. Uh, if you know at the end, it's, it's not just Owen. It's not even just Zoe. It's Owen, Zoe, it's Mackenzie. It's the whole family chips yeah. in, mm-hmm. in saving the circus. And it's, it's Owen is, you know, and that's and the, the dynamic between Tony and I is the same way too. And the fact that we both see a problem and we both find a different way to, to tackle it. It's the same thing with, with Owen and Zoe. I mean, Owen thinks the best thing to do is to keep the steady job. His wife's going to inherit this company. That's the best thing for our family. Zoe says, no, the best thing for our family is to be happy. And they both, they're both right. They don't argue with each other. They're not mad at each other, but they mm-hmm. both 
they're both doing what they believe is the best thing for their family. And I respect that. And I, and, and that was in, in our, my relationship with Tony, my relationship with my wife. And, and I think that's, that's what I want my kids to grow up understanding. Yeah. There's that, that is kind of the main theme of the story is, is really about, um, family staying together, but also following your dream. Can you follow your dream in life, but stay together as a family? And that was, that was Owen's real issue, but it also became, uh, Zoe, his wife's issue too, because she felt like he was not doing that. He was not, he was not following his dream and therefore he was wrong. And she was going to challenge him in that. And that is one of the fun things that we got to in the story. It wasn't originally like that, like he said, but it was really evident in both my life and in Scott's life. I started an animation company. I left Disney. That's my story is I left Disney um, when I was at the top of my success, really, because I had a dream of starting my own animation company. And after seven years of a lot of struggle, it, it didn't work out. I had to actually shut the doors on it. But along the way, uh, even though I went through a lot of financial troubles and, and difficulties, my wife was there with me every step of the way. Just like Scott's talking about, his wife was with him every step of the way saying, you got to make this movie, go out and do it. I'm going to support the family while you do it. That was my wife earlier with my story of my own company. So we both have been going through it. But this was this was Scott's turn. This was Scott and Donna's turn. That's his wife's, his wife's name. Um, this was their turn because this was the passion project. This was the dream was making animal crackers. So I was really privileged to be able to be alongside of him for this one and, and support those guys as they, these guys put everything into it. Uh, Donna and Scott really put their house, their mortgage. I mean, everything financially into this movie and to see it pay off now it's a happy ending. We're, we're celebrating a happy ending to a larger story, which is huge. It doesn't, you don't hear about that in Hollywood. Yeah. We didn't think this yeah. day would happen, honestly. Mm-hmm. I mean, not that we doubted it so much as I think we, at least we might've given up hope, right, Tony? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because you just don't know. And like you said, when you take a chance in entertainment careers um, and I think it's cool for anybody listening right now for you guys to share your story and how you got started and that it's not easy. Like you get all the accolades and everything at the end and you guys have this beautiful film, but it was a journey getting there. And I think that's a really important for people to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it is. And it's, it's not just a, a difficult journey, but it, it's a risk. I mean, uh, when you follow, yeah, absolutely. Oftentimes when you follow your dreams, you have to put everything on the line. Um, and, and it's the people that oftentimes do put it all on the line, which still does not ensure success. We know that too from mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. life. That's just life stuff. But man, when you put yourself out there is really when you're probably the most vulnerable and the most creative and the most successful because you're all in. Yeah. Um, and one of because I don't want to spoil, I do have a ton of questions, but I want to spoil it for people because I really want them to sit down with their family and enjoy this because it really truly is like an hour or so of escape that I thought was so cool that you need, you know, you just like want to go like on a little venture for a little bit. Yeah. You know, kind of reminds you like you got the big kids you know, out there, kids at heart, that'll just really, I think, take away something from this. But the last question I have, because I want to try to get a little nerdy with you guys, because I love this kind of stuff. Um, with the storyboards, uh, I know, Scott, you mentioned a little bit about the storyboards. Maybe it was Tony. Um, and I know you do you do like visual effects as well, Scott. What were some of the, what were like the beginning stages of you guys putting this together? Do you have to, sto- do you storyboard for us, like for all the different designs and the fashion and everything, that the, how you want the characters to look? 
Tony, you take that one. Yeah, yeah, we do. I mean, that's that's really what pre-production is about on an animated feature. It really truly is pre-production because before we can ever animate, whether it be CG animation or hand-drawn 2D animation, you really got to get designs down. You got to create the world. You've got to create the storyboard. And in animation, it's a little different than live action. In live action, the script is, you know, the script is everything, right? And you hear about the shooting script is locked and then they go shoot it and it's like shot for shot, just like it's talked about in the script. For us, in animation, oftentimes the script is the starting off point. And then in, through storyboards, we really recreate a lot of moments. We really flesh out scenes. That's where there's a lot of uh, poses and drawings that inspire the animators come out of the storyboards. I was just looking at some of the storyboards that we did for Animal Crackers just yesterday, uh, having a conversation with somebody about it. And I'm, I'm so, I feel so blessed that we had the team that we did that brought the story to life visually because they, put, they imbued in those storyboards not only great shots and cuts and things like that that are very technical, but um, great characters and funny moments. And this film is, it's silly and it's kind of goofy and it's got heart and it's, but it also has some pathos and some drama to it. And yeah, yeah. magic, but there's also family values. And it has a lot of everything I think that movie movie moviegoers like. I think that's what, what really drew me to it when Scott first showed me the script. And to be able to bring that that world to, to life through great character designs by Carter Goodrich, who was our main character designer, and Armand Serrano, who was our production designer, created the tents and the look of the backstage and the just all the backgrounds and the prop designs that they did in Spain and all that kind of stuff to see it all come together is um it's just amazing you know it's just I love the animation process because of that yeah you got yeah it's, it's really cool and so now I have more animation questions for you guys so I'm going to step away from uh, animal crackers because you guys are name dropping and I don't know if the listeners caught some of this stuff that you guys are talking about yeah yeah so <laughs> Tony, you you directed Mulan, um, the original one, you guys, the one we all like. I know I was sitting on my bed. Uh, well, I probably shouldn't say the the, the year and all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, you um, probably, I'll say that. Right? Or younger. <laughs> um, but yeah, so anyway, huge fan. So I have a two-part question for you. I want to know if you have a, what's your um, biggest memory, best memory from that time of, of um, working on Mulan? And also, do you have a favorite character from Mulan? Oh boy. Uh, I'll start with the easy part first. The second part. Um, no, I can't really say that I have a, a favorite character, although I'm very partial to Mushu. Uh, Cause I, when I was an animator, I always did comedy characters. So I was definitely, if I would have been on the animation side, instead of directing, I probably would have animated Mushu because I, mm-hmm. my twin brother, Tom Bancroft animated Mushu. And so there was that kinship, that I had in a literal way with my brother who animated Mushu, but I also kind of understood that character really well about how to, how to understand it from an animation standpoint. So I, I was definitely very vested with, with uh, talking to my brother about Mushu and then watching my brother bring life to Mushu was very special because of the family connection too. Uh, so that's the second part of the question. The first part of the question it, uh, was about what um, I'm already drawn a blank. What was the first part of the question? Um, like, <laughs> yeah, I know. I had, I put a lot in that question. Um, any, you know, like a favorite memory or oh, favorite moment you remember from working on Mulan? Oh gosh, there's so many because it's, you know, when you're making one of these films, it, it, it lasts, especially a Disney film of that kind of caliber. Yeah. You're on it for like, I was on it for three years, maybe something like that. 
and it, oh, and it wow. went even longer because I came on it like a year into it actually. But um, what I guess what I remember the most is doing extensive research because uh, I I did not I had never been to China I did not really have a lot of Chinese friends I'll admit. Um, so we did a lot uh, to try and understand Chinese culture. We brought in a lot of Chinese talent, Chinese animators, voice actors, you name it, um, and really immersed. It, it was like a, a university class in ancient Chinese history uh, working on Mulan because we we wanted it to be as authentic as possible, but still through a Western filter. You know, the storytelling is definitely mm-hmm. more Westernized filter uh, in, in the hero's journey kind of structure and all that. But we wanted it to feel uniquely authentic and like something that you hadn't seen before, especially at that time. I mean, there was no Chinese movies out. There was no animated cartoons by Disney that had a Chinese world represented or anything, uh, anything Asian even. Uh, So it it was very unique to the time. And then on top of it, I started, I had my first daughter when I worked on Lion King, which was right before that. I ended up having three daughters, but um, my second daughter was born while I was working on Mulan, and I felt this pull to really create a, a strong Disney heroine. Um, and so mm-hmm. the fights, and, and, I, and I don't want to make it sound like it was a fist fight or anything like that, but the the push and the pull of making Mulan um, a strong female representation and a strong uh, female heroine that we hadn't seen up to that point was a lot of work, a lot of ups and downs emotionally, but um, I'm super proud of that element that we brought, you know, to Disney, basically one of the strongest female heroines in Disney animation history, I'd say. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, I'm a huge Mulan fan. So yeah, I can't wait for the whole, um, well, actually I want to rewatch Mulan now that you've given me all the little details and stuff I didn't have before. (laughs) And then I'm waiting to see what, you know, whenever we're out of this pandemic and we get to see the live action one. Oh, I know. I, I really want to share. I want people to, I've actually seen the live action one. I saw that was like the last premiere Hollywood premiere I went to before the COVID shutdown in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, and literally it was supposed to come out like two weeks later, but then everything shut down. Um, so yeah, I, I got a chance to see it and I'm just really proud of what they did. I had no involvement in, in the live action film. I'll just state that up front. But uh, I'm mm-hmm. really proud of of the film. It's very unique and very different, which is what I like. I don't like the, you know, the re- the, the reboots to be too similar to the original. I want them to be different. Right. You know? Well, I cannot wait to check it out. And Scott, you're not flying under the radar here. I oh, saw that right. you did a visual effects on Power Rangers. You got to talk about that. Ah. What was that? What was that experience like? Because you know you have the outfits, and I like the white Power Ranger. And you got the little <laughs> cool gadgets and stuff. So you got to come on now, Scott. Don't try to fly on the radar for me. Tell me about I, that experience. I, I was this close to getting out of this. Um, <laughs> well, I, I, uh, you know, I, I came up, I guess, kind of opposite but similar to what Tony did, because um, I went to art school as a painter. I was an illustrator. But uh, in my junior year, I got an internship at Sega of America doing video games. So I was doing 16-bit Sega games and then eventually arcade games and and whatnot. But somehow, because I was an artist who knew how to use a computer and knew how to do some animation in the 90s, that was, you know, like finding a unicorn. And uh, so it was I I found a lot of a lot of work working on Casper and, and Aliens versus Predator and whatnot. And Saban was looking for animators to do uh, 
I guess I guess they were they were trying to really expand the Power Rangers at that time to make mm-hmm. them more uh, dramatic. And so they were doing Power Rangers in space and they were doing, you know, so the, the visual effects were really starting to pump up and they didn't have animators who could do humans. And so anytime they needed like the Red Ranger would, would, you know, put on like a pack and fly around and do any kind of weird stunts, they would call me and I would animate. <laughs> that. So it was really kind of cool. Funny thing is, you know, I, I did that and my kids never really got into the Power Rangers. Uh, one of them did for a little bit, but. Mm-hmm. Like, come on! I did this. Every other kid likes this. Why don't you? <laughs> you know, but, but it was all good. It was good. Well, you you had a fan of me, and I didn't know that you were doing it, so I appreciate it. Now I got to thank you all these years later. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, okay, guys. As we wrap up here, I know I don't know if you guys have gotten like your big packet of COVID nineteen rules for back to filming, but if you have anything you want to tease, wrapping up. Um, Tony, I know you have a podcast you're working on, but any kind of teasers you guys want to leave the audience with? Yeah, yeah, I'm super proud of it. Uh, I've been doing for six years now, really, bef- around the time I started Animal Crackers. My twin brother, Tom, who I was speaking about before, also worked at Disney, and um, uh, we created a podcast. So it's called the Bancroft Brothers Animation Podcast. It's the number one podcast for animation on iTunes. Check it out on iTunes or Spotify. Um, and, uh, you can always catch me on Instagram. I'm, I, I still love to draw, still love to draw Disney characters, my own characters on Instagram. I'm Pumba guy, Pumba with two A's. <laughs> nice. That is the coolest Instagram handle ever. That's pretty dope. I like that. What you got, Scott? You got anything going on? You think you could tease oh, first? I, I poured everything into Animal Crackers. <laughs> so just oh, watch, okay. So Animal Crackers. Animal I'm just going to put it out there. Dude. Animal Crackers 2 is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Animal Crackers <laughs> 2, the second batch. <laughs> well, I think it's worth oh, saying, too, Ryan, it's worth saying, too, that we'd love audience members, as you see it on Netflix, go to Rotten Tomatoes, give the movie a Ooh, review. yeah. We'd be really uh, honored by that. Um, just spread the word, you know? Animal Crackers, go check it out. Yeah, get you some Animal Crackers while you're watching it. Yeah. Yes. Well, Tony Scott, it's been so much fun talking animation with you guys. Thank you so much for joining me. Same here, same here. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks, Ryan. All right, you guys. Thank you. And you guys um, all stay safe out there, and I will talk to you later. Bye. The Black Girl Nerds podcast is produced by Jamie Brodnax. The opening theme song to our show is written and performed by Samus. Various instrumentals are performed by Samus, Sky Blue, and Shubzilla. You can find various episodes of the Black Girl Nerds podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Audioboom, Google Play Music, and Spotify.